listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I'm so glad you can join us for today's episode of Let the Bible Speak. Before we come to today's message, I just want to thank you again for listening and also to remind you that we would we'd love to hear from you. If this program has been beneficial in your life, please get in touch. Our email address is malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We are convinced about the importance of bringing the Bible to you on these broadcasts week by week. I would also like to say that if you're listening to this on the radio, these broadcasts are also available as a weekly podcast. If you go to that podcast, you will indeed find archives of all the messages from this program. You can find the podcast on Podbean for Android users. It's available on iTunes and it's also available on Amazon Music. Our regular pulpit ministry, along with these podcasts, is also available on SermonAudio.com. If you go to SermonAudio.com and you search for Malvern uh, Free Presbyterian Church, you, you will find all uh, of our sermon archives along with these uh, programs. There are so many resources whereby you can hear and benefit from the sound preaching of the Word of God. But beyond that, we also greatly encourage you to continue in regular daily Bible reading and Bible study. Sometimes when you get to the middle of January, uh, you've begun a new plan of reading and uh, that you find it difficult and perhaps you've fallen away already. Well, let me encourage you at this point to, to redouble your efforts, be in the Word of God each and every day. For it is in the Word of God that we see our sin and beyond that we see our Saviour. And I hope you'll benefit today as we hear the words of Christ to those whom he loves. Revelation chapter 2 and is the first of these seven letters. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And so we'll look at verses 1 through 7, but really we're going to look uh, just in just the theme and the subject of these letters, uh, because there are some helpful things to uh, reflect upon just by way of general comment and observation. But let's read uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. And nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." Amen. May God bless his word to your hearts tonight. There was a moment in time when 
the pastor of the church in Ephesus received the delivery of the book of Revelation from John. Chapter 1, verse number 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. A real church with a real pastor receiving a real letter from a real apostle who has received a revelation from a real Savior. Yet, whilst there is a very personal and particular sense of these letters, yet they are letters that represent church issues in all ages these seven letters are not revealing separate, seven separate ages of the church, but are opening our eyes to see church life at all times, in all generations. Churches that are marked by faithfulness, by God's grace, but also by compromise and by coldness. Why do we see them as being representative? Well, look at verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, and then verse number 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so you'll see this overlapping theme in the letters. On the one hand, they are addressed to the angel, the messenger, we'll see that, of the church. But on the other hand, there's a more general application as the Spirit speaks to the churches, plural. Not just Ephesus, not just the seven churches in Asia, but indeed the churches in every generation. And as we have no difficulty in believing that Romans speaks to us as a letter, so we should have no difficulty believing that these letters also speak to us as a church here in this year. John Gill, the commentator, says this, The letter was sent to the pastor or pastors, to the whole body of ministers, by them to be communicated to the church. And not only to this particular church did this letter and the content of it belong, but to all the churches of Christ within the period of the apostolic age, as may be concluded from Revelation 2, verse 7, the verse we've just read. And so what I want to do this evening is really just to, to point out some general matters that come out of all of these letters, really looking at the general subject of Christ's letters to his beloved ones. Because we have here, we've, we've seven letters of Christ to those whom he loves. And first of all, just two things tonight, but first of all, let's note that Christ communicates with his church. Christ communicates with his church. And here we have an interesting insight into the method of communication. How does Christ speak to his church? Well, you have here in verse number one, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, these are the words of Christ. He's addressing John. He's telling John, write these things to the angel of the church in Ephesus. The Lord speaks to the angel. Those words then to be related to the church generally. Verse 7 again, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the idea here is uh, that Christ speaks to John. John in turn will relay these things to the messenger, the angel we saw last time, a reference to the Christian pastor. And in turn, the Christian pastor will relay these things to the people. There's a pathway, a process here, whereby Christ communicates to his church. Let me remind you of Gil again. The letter was sent to the pastor by them to be communicated to the church. And we get that from chapter 2, verse 1, and also verse 7. And so when you look at these verses, in fact, all of these letters, you do see a tremendously important principle regarding the gospel ministry. Two things. There is, first of all, to the gospel minister, a word of reminder. 
A reminder. Verse 1 again, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Here's a reminder. The minister is being reminded that as the messenger of the church, as the angel, he is the star in Christ's hand. We saw that back in chapter 1, verse 20. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the stars in Christ's hand. And now the messenger, the angel himself, is being reminded, you are a star in Christ's hand. It's a very personal word of reminder to the pastor-teacher. It reminds the pastor-teacher that he serves in Christ's sovereign will. He is not independent. He is not an independent, free spirit to do what he pleases. He is in the sovereign will of Christ. The star is in Christ's hand. It's Christ's sovereign will. And so when we pray for the Lord to raise up men for vacant pulpits, we must remember that well, Christ is sovereign over the will, or Christ's will is sovereign over the ministry of his messengers. It also reminds the, the messenger that he serves in Christ's service. It's not about the minister doing his own will or exalting his own name. He is there in Christ's name for the extension of Christ's kingdom and for the glory of Christ's name. These are important things to remember. You need to pray for these matters that you pray for our denomination that our men would understand these principles. They're in Christ's will. They're in his service. And they're also serving in his strength. The reference to the hand, and particularly the right hand, is significant in the Bible. The right hand in the Old Testament spoke of power. And to be in Christ's right hand indicates that the messenger labors in the power of Christ, not their own strength. Whenever they labor in their own strength, they are sure to feel. But Paul, even the Apostle Paul, understood that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. These are important words of reminder, very simple, but they are important to remind it of in all times. The second thing, in terms of this gospel ministry and Christ communicating with his church, is to recognize this matter of responsibility. What is the angel's duty before Christ in Christ's service? Well, very simply, it is to relay Christ's word. Verse 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, Write. So John is to write, that is then transmitted to the messenger of Ephesus. But when he relates that to the church, it has the power of the Spirit speaking to the church, is verse number seven again. So you get this process Christ speaking through his Spirit. And the angel, the messenger, responsible to convey the message. The very name implies that. The word angel speaks of a messenger. A messenger is not an inventor. The messenger simply relays the message given to them. They relay that message to, to others. They don't make it up. They don't change it. They are duty-bound to be faithful in conveying the message given to them. The Lord and the Spirit speak to the church, speak to John. John records this. The minister relays this message. There is nothing new today. This is still the very same pathway. Now, we entered into the pathway at a different phase, a different time, but the pathway is still the same. 
The minister of the Word is to relate the words of Christ that have come by the Spirit of Christ. This principle here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is a principle that we see in the New Testament regarding the teaching of New Testament inspiration. How is the New Testament given to us? Well, you go back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, you have the, the details regarding the Comforter who shall come. And again, we know John 14, 15, 16, 17, the upper room events, the Lord's Prayer in that situation also. But in John 14, we have the assurance the Comforter will come. And then verse number 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. That's one part of the Spirit's ministry. It was to remind the apostles of Christ's teaching that they would not be forgetful, but they'd be faithful in relating what Christ taught them in his earthly ministry. That's one part. But then look also in chapter 16, in the verse number 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. This promise is fulfilled in Revelation, as John experiences exactly what is promised. So the writer can say, Christ says, verse 1, and the Spirit says, verse 7, because the Spirit speaks Christ's words, and Christ speaks to the Spirit. And the duty of the apostles was to record this message. It is the inspired New Testament. And it is the duty of the Christian minister to relate that to the churches, to convey the message that Christ has given through the Spirit of God. Now let me just pause and apply this in a couple of ways. These principles are well known. You understand them in this place. But let me remind you and ask you in a very particular sense to pray, to pray for our ministers. Across our denomination, our missionaries, pray for those men who are seeking to be faithful to Christ. And in two ways, pray that they would not be distracted. Distracted from their task. There is so much going on in the world today that it is a temptation to any Christian minister to want to give a running commentary in the world. You just see all of this confusion around you, and you, you know, we, we don't cut our brains off when we go to the pulpit. We, we understand what happens through the week. And so you, you wrestle with the desire to, to really just chip in your opinions on this matter or that matter. But the task of the Christian minister is to relay Christ's words. Now, of course, it would not be wise or prudent for the Christian minister to ignore this world. They're not to bury their head in the sand. But at the same point, the sermon is to be the word of Christ. It is not to be a political commentary. So you've got to keep this balance. And so please pray. Pray for God to enable our ministers to not be distracted so they will not preach the word. Our duty is to relate the word of Christ. And it is your duty, I'll come this minute to you, to expect that. The other thing to pray for our ministers is that they would not be discouraged. These are days of unbelief. Days where, by and large, we are living in a very secular age, and people have no desire or interest to hear the word of Christ. 
And so the Christian minister's temptation is, well, what can I do differently? How can I change my methods? And that's part of the temptation of the church as well. But the Christian minister has the greatest of tasks. There is no greater task than simply repeating what Christ says. Why would you want to do anything different to that? That is the most glorious thing, as the king speaks to us through his messengers. So please, be in prayer for our ministers that they would not be discouraged and they would not be distracted. But also pray for our members that they would have the right expectation of the pastor. That is the pastor's responsibility to teach the word of Christ. I'm speaking very generally here. I understand that in this gathering you all believe this. And so I'm asking you to pray. Yes, pray that we continue in this, but also pray for all of our churches that this would be the case. There'd be an understanding that whenever the man of God gets to the pulpit and the Lord says, Ever's preaching here, that you expect to hear the words of Christ. You expect to need your Bibles. It is a major problem if you can go through a sermon without needing your Bible. That should not happen. It should be expounding and opening up the words of Christ. That should be your desire and your expectation. And if you find that waning in your heart, pray for God to stir up in your soul and also pray, pray for the man of God to keep to his task. In the same sense, there is therefore the need for the right response to preaching, remembering that it is not the word of a man, that is the word of Christ. Christ by the Spirit to the apostles relayed by the ministers to them be believed on by the church adopted followed with conviction and certainty this is Christ's word to the church it's very simple principles but how important they are in terms of application the second thing to note not only does Christ communicate to his church but please note Christ's closeness to his church he walks in the midst, verse 1 again of chapter 2, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And again, we saw that reference back in verse 13 of the first chapter. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. He is the one with the stars in his hand walking in the midst. It is the glorified Son of Man. We saw the vision last time of his glory, of his splendor, his majesty. And yet he's prepared to walk in our midst. Now here you've got to apply your theology. We understand that Christ in his physical presence left this world for a time. And in his physical presence, he, has, he is the man in the glory at the right hand of the majesty and high. But in the same sense, by the Spirit, and also in virtue of his omnipresence, the Son walks in our midst. It's no challenge for the believer to accept that, that though Christ is right now in heaven, in his physical presence, in his humanity, yet in his deity he is with us here and with his church. This is a tremendous comfort. I touched on this last time and I thought to myself about the fear, the fear of the holy Christ walking in our midst, seeing us in our sin and our depravity. And I thought, is this a mixed thing? Does it, does it cause fear as, as well as comfort? Now, it certainly causes reverence. But the child of God is not in terror of Christ. He is our elder brother. And though he is glorified, he loves us as our elder brother. He is our sympathetic high priest. And so the fact that he is with us is all comfort. He knows. 
Verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. As he walks in our midst, so therefore he knows his church. And thus the word that he gives is a word fitly spoken. The word to Ephesus is different than the word to Smyrna or the word to Tharatara. There are, there are local issues. Yes, we, we adopt the general principles, but there was, there was a particular word in season. And so it is when you come here, the word that's preached here on a given Lord's Day is different than the word preached somewhere else. Christ sovereignly directing the preaching of the word so the word comes as a word fitly spoken. He, Christ our Savior, commends his church. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. We'll come back to these things. But he gives these words of commendation. Though every church is marked by sin and inconsistency, yet Christ's eye is not drawn to our faults so that he is blind to our obedience. I find this particularly challenging personally. I am personally very prone to see people's faults. And when I see the faults, I am therefore less inclined to see the grace in their life, the good things. I see the negatives and, I, and it blinds me to the positives. But Christ is able to see all things without any partiality. He sees the good and commends the good. He's able to see the good. He's not blind to your faults. But nor do our faults make him blind to your acts of obedience. You turn back some pages to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 in the verse number 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He sees things that are pleasing to him. And this is the commandment, verse 23, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandments here, the Lord looks upon these things. He loves when he sees vibrant faith, when he hears our praise, when he hears our worship, when he understands our faithfulness to truth. When we believe and keep on believing that, that pleases Christ. And despite our faults, he sees that. And praise God, he sees when we love one another. These are the two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Loving God is to believe in Christ. Loving your neighbors and love one another. Christ commends his churches, and we'll see that through the course of these seven letters. He also counsels his church. The word is used in chapter 3, verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. He, he counsels, he, he gives direction. Christ's word is intended to direct us in the Christian life to guide and to move us in a certain pathway that we'd walk in the ways of Christ's commandments. He counsels his church. And thirdly, he corrects his church. He comes and gives correction. And that, dear child of God, is a tremendous comfort. He does not allow us to ruin ourselves in our folly. He comes alongside, and as he does in this church in Ephesus, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first of. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. He comes and gives words of stern correction. And at times the church needs to hear those words of correction. 
And when we hear those words of correction, we should understand and appreciate that we are seeing a display of Christ's love for us. It is comforting to know that he that walks in the midst of the candlesticks does not ignore our sin, but comes alongside and challenges our sin. That we would not fall away, but that we be kept by the part of God. And this is all comfort Christ, his closeness to his church. And so, I ask a question as we close. Do you share Christ's love and interest in the local church? Remember here, we're looking at a local church in Ephesus. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the, the general, universal church. Those for whom Christ died, but represented in local assemblies, local congregations, in Ephesus and Sardis and Thyatira. And we see Christ here. Yes, he loves the universal church, but he has an interest and a love for the church local. Do we share that? If we say we abide in Christ, we are to walk as he also walked. He walks in the midst of the candlesticks with his heart burdened for the well-being of the church. And so if we are not interested and do not love the local church, then we are not as Christ in this world. We're not echoing his attachment and affection for the church local. Young people, I want to make this very clear to you as you make your way in life. Do not ever succumb to the temptation, the false belief that the church is unimportant. If you want to ask a question, why is church important? Because Christ delights in the local church. We see his delight in the local church. And not only so, we see how he gives dignity to the local church by his presence. He is present. Comes alongside in the local church. If you choose to go your own way in the world and ignore the benefit of the church. You are going against the will of Christ. The church is vitally important. We should love the church. We should pray for the church, support the church. Yes, locally. Committed to a local church. So may God be pleased to save souls, to save sinners in our midst to save sinners in the locality and gather them together that they would know the blessing of Christ walking in their midst. Pray for missionaries, the churches we planted. Pray for growth in local churches that we would see the glory of Christ as he walks in the midst of the candlesticks. May God be pleased to help us to pray through these things tonight for the glory and honor of his name. Amen and amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.